Hello, everybody. Folks are still joining. I'm going to go ahead and get started on some of the uh, housekeeping stuff. It's uh, first that I have put a link to the handouts for today um, on the Facebook uh, class page. You're going to need uh, pages two and three, and, and they're short. And if you don't want to print them, um, you can look at them on the screen. It's not that big a deal. You can write it on a different piece of paper. And um, I just want to say, you know, kind of first off the bat that I'm a Christian, period. I believe in the Trinity, in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Um, but I also, I believe, as part of that, I believe that God is bigger than time and bigger than humanity, bigger than all of creation, which we're going to focus on today. I believe God encompasses all of these realities. And um, so I also believe God is bigger than any single part of that reality, including gender. As a woman, I have to believe that I am made in God's image too, and that I can be and have been called as an ordained pastor and as a teacher. When the Pharisees asked Jesus about marriage in heaven, Jesus basically told them they were so far off base in their understanding, he couldn't even answer the question. It was like they were so far out in left field, you needed binoculars. Our, our concept of sex and marriage and gender is somehow completely different in heaven. In you know, the New Testament, Paul tells us in Christ, there is no religious division. There's no second class citizens, nor is there male and female. We are all one. Um, so I think it's perhaps more of an ancient cultural tradition that we use male pronouns for God. But since that is the convention in the Bible, which is what we're studying, that's the convention I'll use throughout this class. And I'm making a point of this because I don't want the use of male pronouns to cause people to stumble either way. The other terminology I want to explain has to do with the Old Testament. Scholars don't call it the Old Testament. They call it the Hebrew Bible. It's a scripture we share with our Jewish brothers and sisters. So I will refer to it throughout the class as the Hebrew Bible. And if you see in the handouts or the slides, the letters HB, that's what that stands for. It, it, it's, the, it's what Christians typically call the Old Testament. The format we'll follow in the class is this. I'm uh, I'll open with about 30 minutes or so of teaching, and I won't take questions during that time. But do feel free to type questions and comments in the chat window. Uh, af after I finish teaching, I'm going to put you all in breakout rooms of four or five people each. And while you are talking together, I'll look over the questions and the comments in the chat so that I can try to respond to some of them as many as I can when we get back together as a large group to share what we talked about in the breakouts and also for me to um, answer any other questions you had. So lastly, um, a word about how we talk to each other. We are all over the theological spectrum. None of us know it all, including me. All of us have opinions, sometimes strong opinions, including me. This is a listening space. This is not a space to hold forth or defend your belief system or disparage or attack anyone else's. We are in 
very different places. Um, you're safe in my hands. I want you to be safe in each other's hands as well. I want to come into this dialogue with you in a spirit of tenderness and generosity. If I present something as fact, I will back it up. If I present something that can be viewed in different ways, and there's lots of stuff like that, I will say so. I will try to even mention some of the other ways that it can be looked at. And I usually follow that with what my opinion is, but I'll tell you, that's just my opinion. I want the, the power of decision to be yours. It needs to be. I'm, I'm here to equip you. I want to stretch you and maybe even make you uncomfortable. But I also want this to be a huge blessing. I want to give you the opportunity to view scripture in ways you may have never had before. I want you to understand how it's put together, how the books of the Bible relate to each other, and I want you to know the history and the context that these books reflect. Um, but my goal in all of this is not just education. My goal is to point you towards God. I want you to feel God drawing you in with these words. And then I want to get out of the way. So I guess at this point, we're ready to get started. I'm excited. This is fun. I hope that you, en you enjoy it as much as I do. So while uh, now's the time to grab your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. And while you're doing that, I'm going to get my screen to share so that you can see the slides. All right, um, here we go. You should see a slide now that says Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. And that, you know, pretty much sums it up. It is all about God. That's in the beginning, God, and in the end, God. There's a beautiful verse in the, in the New Testament that talks about how in the end, Jesus will hand everything over to God. So everything, so God will be the all in all. Um, and that is what the Bible is about. It's, um, it's about helping us understand who, who this is, um, that, what this is that created us. And it's a, it's a love story, start to finish. People are scared to death about the Old Testament because they expect a revengeful, hateful, destructive, authoritarian God. And that's, I hope, um, going to be the complete opposite of the, what you experience in this class. Uh, we're going we're gonna to see God in, in, a, in a really new light. So if you have your handouts, uh, um, you, which are available at the Evers Bible Class um, Facebook page, there's a link there. It will look like this if you printed it out. Um, so if you didn't print it out, just grab a sheet of paper and make, make notes. So first, I want you to look at Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God, and look at how the word God is typed in your Bible. Write down exactly how it's spelled. And in most translations, it will be spelled with a capital G and a lowercase od. Whenever you see that exact word for God in your Bible, 
it means the underlying Hebrew word was Elohim. I put that on the screen for you. Elohim is the Hebrew whenever you see the word God by spelled G-O-D. So you might want to pick a color and highlight this word in chapter one as you come across it. Um, don't go to chapter two yet. There's a plot twist there, but uh, do um, pick a color that you're going to use for the, for the name God when it's spelled like this. Elohim, the word Elohim is a plural word. The root word is El, which means God in Hebrew. The first part of the book of Genesis, you, you may not know this, is set in the land of Mesopotamia. It's a region. It's a, the land around the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, and, and it runs all along the northern part of the Fertile Crescent. Uh, the, that, that's where um, we are physically right now in this story in Genesis 1. The greater part of Genesis then is set in the land of Canaan, which is where Israel is today. So if you continued that arc of Mesopotamia, it would start narrow on one corner um, in the east. It would arc up, get wider and wider, like a kind of a, a moon shape up, um, turned down. And then it get, becomes narrow as it, got, as it funnels down into Israel, which is in, in the time of Genesis, that was called the land of Canaan. Both Mesopotamia and Canaan worshipped, the, the native peoples there, worshipped a pantheon of gods. And the god El, for many of the religions, there was more than one religion in that area, but the god El was the supreme deity over that council of gods um, for, for many of the stories in Mesopotamian and um, Canaanite religion, creation was an act of a council of gods. So, uh, and in fact, the heem on the end of Elohim is the plural ending. In Hebrew, that's the Hebrew version of adding an S to the end of a word. Um, the, the, in Hebrew, the word for brother is ach. If you want to make ach into brothers, you say achim. Um, so this is el, the word for God, which can either be capital God or lowercase god, gods, el, ohim. Um, it means gods. Uh, and you can actually see remnants of this. If you look in your Bible um, at chapter 1, verse 26, take a quick look there. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the face of the sea, etc., etc. God said, let us make man in our image. Most of the time, and I don't want you to freak out about this. I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't want you to freak out. This is just one of those little uncomfortable points that we're just going to start out with. But don't freak out. I will explain. I will always explain. Some people, especially Christians, do theological gymnastics to try to make this whole idea of plural into this being a foreshadowing of the Trinity. And, you know, um, and that's, you can look at it that way. I think, though, that that's trying to force a round peg into a square hole. I think there's a better way to approach it because um, Elohim is most often used, 
that plural noun is used with a singular verb in the, in the Bible. Not always. There are verses, um, 1 Samuel 28, 13 and Genesis 20, 13 actually use a plural verb, just like a, a, a plural pronoun is used here in verse 26. But for the most part, most of the time, the verb used with Elohim is singular. So that begs the question, why would they do that? Why would they have a plural noun and a plural name for God um, and use a singular verb with it? And um, I think sc scholars have concluded that, that this is a way the ancients used to add emphasis. Remember, this is an ancient text. They didn't have word processing. They couldn't make it boldface type. So this is their way of saying um, God with an emphasis. So when you see it like this, it's like God with an exclamation point. God is doing something. God is saying something. So let's zoom out for a second. That's, that's about as detailed as you get going into one word. Um, but let's zoom out for a second. One of the things I love about the NIV translation is that it makes an effort to visually lay out poetry and similar structures in the text in a way that sets them apart from prose. I think I read somewhere that about 40% of the Hebrew Bible is poetry. So look at your translation. Not all of them, but many of them will show spacing, something like what I've got up on the screen. You see how there's like stanzas, okay? And those continue all the way through chapter one and into chapter two, into the first part of chapter two. That same kind of structure, parallel structure. But then look at how the structure changes starting in verse four. Starting in verse four, it turns into solid prose. And then there's a sort of a new introductory sentence that says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And that's probably a good, this is, you know, a good place for me to point out that if I were dividing up chapters and verses, I probably would have put the chapter two division where those red lines are. I have no clue why they stuck the last part of the story in chapter one into ch the first part of chapter two. That makes no sense to me. And I want to use it as an illustration for you because you can very safely ignore chapter and verse divisions in the Bible. You can ignore them. That's heresy, I know, but it's true. Those divisions into chapters and verses were added much later. The ones in the Hebrew Bible were added like around 900 years after Christ. And different ancient manuscripts divided things differently. So don't let the chapter and verse divisions influence your understanding at all. Something else changes at those double red lines. Up until then, while the story was in poetic structure, the word for God was Elohim, as we saw earlier. I've circled it there on the screen. Look to see what it is now in the prose in your translation, under it, like around yeah. verse four. Take a look, circle that part. 
it is Lord God in most translations. That is significant. Let's go back to our handout on the names of God. We need to add a new name for God. Look very closely at how it is styled in your Bible. Most translations style it with Lord in all capital letters, but with the L bigger. So we need to add a new name for God. And um, the God part looks just like it did before, but it's got Lord in front of it. So that's like a compound name for God. So let's make a new color for this name. Let's, let's pick another color and color that. Uh, and you can continue to use that color as, as you study through um, chapter two. So this we would expect to represent a compound name for God in Hebrew, where the second word is still Elohim, because it's G-O-D, just like Elohim at the, at, that we looked at uh, in the line above. And sure enough, you're absolutely right. It is a compound, and, but that first word looks really weird. Um, in fact, that first word is so special, it needs to stand on its own. So let's add a third line for it. Um, it will be used elsewhere in the Bible a lot. We're going to run into it frequently. So make the third line the YHWH. That particular name for God is so special. It's got, it's, it's got a name. There's a name for it. There's a term for it. It is called the Tetragrammaton. Tetra for four, grammaton for letters. The Tetragrammaton is the four letters. We hate things we cannot name because to name something is to have power over it. Think about that for a second. To name something is to have power over it. Um, especially in relation to the creation story, what power did God give Adam over the animals? Look at Genesis uh, 1, 26. It's that same verse we looked at that has the plural pronoun in it. It says, let us make man in our in image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So here in this story, in this uh, chapter one, God says, we're giving man power over the animals and all of the creation itself. But turn over to chapter 2, verse um, 19. And it's, it's, a, it's a different account of the creation story. And in this place, instead of saying, I'm giving man power over the animals, look what it, he said. He brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So there you see it right there in these two um, chapters of Genesis that we, when we have the power to name something, we have power or dominion over it. Drop in an A and drop in an E and now we can say it. Yahweh. But in Hebrew, the Y is often transliterated as a J sound. Now, notice I used a different word there. Transliteration is not a translation. Translation is where you take a Hebrew word and find a word with the same meaning or as close as you can get to it in English. Transliteration 
is when you take a word and try to make an English word out of the sounds of the Hebrew word. So for example, the Hebrew name Yeshua is usually transliterated Joshua. It can also be transliterated as Jesus. Um, and notice that we are changing the Y sound to a J when we're making the name English. Uh, here's another example. The Hebrew name Yermayahu is transliterated as Jeremiah with a J sound for the Y. In seminary, I took a class on Judaism from Rabbi Neil Blumoff. And when we were discussing this, he asked us what name we used. And someone said the word Yahweh, and it was like he took a body blow. He said, wow. It just blew him away that we would say that word. So what do the Jews say? Well, whenever Jews come to the Tetragrammaton in scripture or in prayer, they substitute the word Adonai, which means my Lord. For example, Jewish prayers start with the phrase Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, which means blessed are you, our Lord, King of the universe, or King forever. Universe and forever are sort of all balled up together in Hebrew meaning. So what do the Jews say? Well, as you saw, when they read the, the name in scripture or something, they just substitute the word Adonai, but in general conversation, when they use the name of God, like we're doing now, they would usually say Hashem, which means the name, but they never, ever try to control or take power over the name itself. It is never pronounced, only understood. So back to our table of names for God. Whenever you see the word LORD in all caps with the first letter larger, or whatever convention is used in your particular translation, it means the underlying word in the Hebrew is this most holy, unpronounceable name for God. It is unpronounceable on purpose. And we need a new, letter, new color for that. Uh, when we see it all by itself, that's its own thing. So we need a, a new color for that. There's no place to color it here yet in, in Genesis chapter two. You've only got that first name and the second compound name. Um, but pick a color and we will keep adding to this handout of the names for God as we go along. So what do we do with all of this? Um, what, why is this important? Well, I'm going to let you do that, that work. Uh, we're going to break up into small groups, and I want you together to compare the stories in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 and discuss the four questions that are in your study guide handout. You won't be able to see this slide while you're in the breakout rooms, so make sure you have a copy of the questions. Either jot them down or print them off from the study guide. So what else besides the name of God is different between chapters 1 and 2? What is God like in these two accounts? Where is God in relation to earth or to humans in, in uh, these two accounts? How does God accomplish his work? And are these two accounts by two different authors and why or why not? Are they by different, two different authors or by the same author? And why do you think what you think? There is no right or wrong answer here. I just want you to start exercising your ability to think deeply about scripture.
you'll have you know 15 or 20 minutes um, to to take a look at this and you'll get a one minute warning before you're brought back here so get your materials ready and give me uh, a moment to make the technology happen people are starting to join back from their breakout rooms. It'll take about a minute for everybody to get back. Hey Gail, we need more than 15 minutes, love. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot, isn't it? It's, there's so much there, you know, to talk about. And um, I'm hoping that all of the discussions were genial and, and gracious. And uh, I see a question Julie uh, asked, will we be able to stay in the same groups? And the answer is no, because it would take me 100 years to do that every time. I have to reset the groups up every time. So if during a um, class session, we do breakout groups more than once in the class, then you'll be in the same group, definitely. But from session to session, you will be uh, the Zoom assigns people randomly. So. Um, you will eventually get to meet everybody in the class, hopefully. I, I hope you enjoyed your groups. Um, if you particularly didn't, just send me an email and let me, let me know uh, who you don't want to be paired up with, and I'll try to make sure that that happens, you know, if there's somebody that's bothering you. But I don't really expect that. I know the people on this call for the most part, and uh, it should have been a very rich discussion. Um, and when you're in a group, the chat with everyone, um, Donna, I have no idea. Give it a give it a try, uh, and I can let you know if it goes to every everybody or just the people in your group. I suspect it goes to everybody, um, not just the people in your group. So um, I am just, there weren't really any questions that were in the chat. Uh, so at this point, just um, raise your hand. Uh, I would just love to hear any, what you all discussed and um, just kind of hear from each of the groups. So if you raise your hand, that's over on the participant sidebar. Um, there's a little blue hand icon and you can raise your hand and Hopefully, I think that pops you up to the top of my screen. And I would love to hear um, what, what's, what, what did you all decide? What were some of the observations you made there? Witty, let me unmute yourself and go for it. Brand? Um, real quickly, uh, in, in chapter one, we noticed that in verses one through 26, um, God was mainly speaking. He was saying things and they would automatically happen. Chapter 20, I mean, verse 27 seems to be a transition verse where God creates man. And then chapters, um, <laughs> verses 28 and 29, God is having a conversation with the man that he has created or, or man and woman that, that he's created. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And then, you know, that last, that last verse that stuck over in chapter two, it goes back to God kind of being alone again, right? I wonder if that's why they stuck it in chapter two. That's interesting. What else did y'all figure out? Just raise your hand and or jump in at this point. This You could probably hear we go, Liz Hupp, go for it. 
Um, we talked about how um, chapter one, God is, is more theological and God's in relationship with the whole earth and the universe. And in chapter two, it's more relational with the prose form. And it's about God's more about God's relationship with Adam um, and that he does the speaking and in chapter one, but in chapter two, it just feels more hands-on and relational. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I've heard some people refer to God being represented in chapter two as a gardener, um, which I think is a lovely, lovely kind of image. What else did y'all see here? Mindy. Sorry, I'm trying to get it situated here. Well, I was just kind of confused. We um, kind of bounced around because I think we were all new at this and I still myself was a little bit confused on what we should do and what we were talking. I was a little bit confusing, but you know, I don't, I didn't understand. I think we kind of went over where is God in relation to earth and humans. He's at that time, he was just a higher power. He wasn't here. He wasn't on earth. He just said it, commanded it, and it was done. But I didn't understand what you meant by what is God like in the two accounts. Oh, okay. Um, did you all come up with uh, an idea of what that might be, or would you like me to explain? I would personally like you to explain, because I, I was confused. I was confused by that question myself. Okay. I don't know about anything. I'm sorry. I should have made that clearer. Um, I should have given you a chance to ask, ask that question before you went into the breakout groups. I'll try to do better next time. But um, I think that what I was trying to do was get you, you, you all to read the two stories kind of side by side and get a sense of if I was drawing a picture of this story, where would I put God? And in the first story, God seems to be kind of coming from above, you know, it's like the spirit is hovering over the face of the deep and, and God is just speaking things into existence. And it's very, a, it's almost a very top down kind of feeling, you know, that God is separate from the earth uh, and all that he's creating. He's pleased with it. He's thrilled with it. But then in, in chapter two, God seems to, like Woody was saying, God seems to be very immediate. It's like all of a sudden he's on earth and he's, you know, reaching out and touching and, and interacting um, with Adam in ways that, that he, he didn't in chapter one. And it was just that perspective I was trying to, to get you to realize, because I think people tend to read these chapter one, chapter two, all together and not really focus on the different flavors. I mean, it's like vanilla and chocolate, right? Between the two stories. Does that make sense, Mindy? It does now, because I was, I'm one of those people who do, or who have read those in combination as one story, and have just always thought of it as, gosh, it's been this higher power, and I guess I never really looked into the deep part of it, seeming like he was on more earth because I just knew at that time reading together that he wasn't here. So he was just doing it from above. Right, exactly. And that's kind of why I focused on the um, name of God and how that changed between chapter one and chapter two, that that when, when you start highlighting those things in different colors, you will notice 
when the narrative of the story changes and be able to look for, that's just like a little red flag that, that will, a little colored flag for you that will help you know to, oh, this might be somebody else's point of view, or this might, you know, have come from a different source, or this might be, well, this, it, you know what I imagine it as? I imagine it as somebody saying, and this is the story of creation, um, God in the beginning, God, and they go through this whole thing. And then somebody says, says, well, my grandma said it was this way. And then tells, you know, the story in chapter two kind of thing um, is, is how I, you know, that's the visual. I'm very visual. I saw Linda. Linda, did you have a, a comment? I'd love to hear from you. Um, I, you kind of answered it or expanded upon it, but in our group, uh, I was with Woody, um, the gentleman that popped up and we had said that the way there was the different flavors that we, at one point we said, well, it's almost like it's two authors, but then in my head, I just remember, didn't, um, the Holy Spirit speak it through one author and I, through Moses or... Yeah, that's so I think, is that correct? Well, that is what a whole, whole lot of Christians believe and have been taught. And that is one of, that is one of the viewpoints that is perfectly acceptable. Okay. I'm, I'm, I want you guys to lay everything you ever heard down at the door, kind of. And enter this yourself as a, as a thinking person, because then as you exit the class and go back out the door, you can pick that other stuff up when you go back out if you want to, okay? But I want to give you a, a play space here where you can begin to think of it maybe in different ways. And um, oh, so that, that was it. it felt to us as a group like it was two authors. Right. So that was all I wanted. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, we're down to our last couple of minutes. Julia, I see your hand. Hi, Gail. One of the things we talked about in our group, and it was something that um, I'd picked up on, is that when he created the animals and he created man, he used dust or the earth. But then when he created woman he used man but before he did that he had breathed life into man which kind of to me brings that what you just said about him being from over above and observing into a relationship with man yes did i make any sense there you did you did and um and i think that's exactly what's going on and I'm gonna I think that that's a, exactly what I'm trying to 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 explain or to get you guys to start thinking about here is that these stories about God are a gift to us from ancient people they thought these were really really important and what it was that was important to them is not the words as much, but God. In the beginning, God. They were trying to, they found a pearl of great price, and they were trying to give that treasure to their descendants all the way down to us. And the words are like the wrapping paper on the gift. 
we don't want to get caught up in what kind of wrapping paper the gift is in. What we want to do is get to the gift itself. And um, one of, and these two versions of the creation story give us two different gifts. The chapter one gives us the gift of an all-powerful God who can, is so powerful, he can speak what does not exist into existence. He calls us into being. And in chapter two, that very same God enters into relationship with us, is tender. Did he yank that rib out of Adam without any anesthesia? No, he didn't. <laughs> he put Adam into a deep sleep before he did that surgery. This is a God who cares. This is a God, and, and you, when we read about how he prepared the Garden of Eden, you know, in the next chapter, um, it's, it's just amazing the tenderness that God has for us. And these people who wrote this down, or the person who wrote this down, whatever you think, um, was trying to give us the two views of God as a gift because it's both God. And so um, I want to close by saying that we won't go this slow through the whole Bible. We will be here and my whole lifetime, and we can't do that. But we will spend more time in Genesis than in any other book of the Hebrew Bible because it is foundational. And those roots, we're going to trace as they span out into the whole Hebrew Bible and beyond into the Old into the New Testament. So um, bear with uh, the pace here at first. There were parts we're going to skip through real fit fast and parts we're going to slow down and take a, a deeper dive into. Um, but I'm thrilled to death that you were here. Um, and I will be sure to let you all know when I have the recordings up so you can go back and look and listen to them again at your leisure. You can share them. Uh, if you have friends who want to join, be sure to send them the link that's in the email uh, for the sign-up sheet. It's also out on the Facebook group. There's a link uh, so that they get registered so I can send them the links and everything. And most of all, please um, make sure that my email address is in your email contacts list. Set me up as a contact. Otherwise, my emails might go to spam and you might miss them. I won't send many and on every one of them is an unsubscribe link. Uh, so there you go. Uh, blessings to you all and I will see you next Thursday. Bye-bye. <laughs>